Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to the prophet Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14 through 17 this morning will be our focus. For a little bit of context, I'll begin reading just a little bit earlier in Zephaniah, in Zephaniah 3, verse 11. You could find the prophet Zephaniah, if you're looking at your Bibles, pretty close to the center, a little bit closer to the New Testament. Uh, It's just before the the prophet Haggai and the minor prophets there. Zephaniah chapter 3. This is God's word, beginning in verse 11. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave you in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies nor shall they be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall gaze and lie down, graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. We'll read just the last few verses as well. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at that time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord." This is God's holy word. May he write it on our hearts this morning as we meditate upon it together. Well, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, why do Christians sing? Singing is a big part of our worship together. When we come together on the Lord's day, we come in part to sing to our God. We've already sung, I believe, uh, three songs together. And God's covenant people all throughout the scriptures have been a singing people all throughout the Bible. God gave his people Uh, a whole book that is dedicated to to prayer and to song, the the book of Psalms, uh, that express the whole range of human emotions. The Psalms expressed joy and sorrow. They express thanksgiving and anxiety. Uh, God wants us to sing because he wants us to express all of our emotions, all that we are uh, to him. Moreover, uh, singing helps the truth of God's word to dwell even deeper in our hearts. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer of the 16th century, uh, was himself passionately committed to the importance of spreading the gospel, uh, even through song. And in his his, uh, his typical uh, Luther fashion, he, he put it this way. 
He says, I have no use for cranks who despise music because it is a gift of God. Music drives away the devil and makes people merry. They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. Music is so important because when we sing, our hearts are joined to God in a deeper way. We're able to to give sound and voice to our emotions as human beings. You know, isn't it true that sometimes we can come to church uh, feeling uh, a certain way, uh, perhaps holding inside particular emotions because life is busy and we don't always have time to process things uh, before the Lord and how we're doing. Uh, perhaps our minds are not in the right frame of mind, our perspective is off. But when we come and we begin to sing and we sing of God's faithfulness, we sing of God's greatness, we, we find those emotions coming out. Uh, we find them flowing out of us as we lift up our voices to God and sing. Our hearts begin to be ministered to by God and his truth as we think about his faithfulness. Well, this morning, Zephaniah summons the people of God to sing. And he calls them actually to rejoice and to sing in the face of very difficult and very dark circumstances. Today, we want to think about why it is that we are commanded and called to sing. And as we consider this text, we're going to look primarily at two things. We're going to consider this call to rejoice. and Really, what's the nature of this call, this call to rejoice? And second, we're going to look at a number of reasons why we can rejoice and sing. And this morning, may we be encouraged and enlivened by God's word to sing to him, not only with reverence and awe, but with joy and with thanksgiving. And so our first point, beloved, in verse 14, you'll look there at your Bibles and see there the call to rejoice. Once again, I'll read it for us. Zephaniah says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. A couple of things I want to bring out for you about this call to rejoice. First, uh, this call to rejoice is unexpected. It's unexpected. If you've read the book of Zephaniah before, if you've read it up until this point in chapter 3, it's a very, very, very dark book. Consider the opening verses of the book of Zephaniah. Chapter 1, verse 2 through 3. The Lord says, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the earth, says the Lord. This is a catastrophic and cosmic judgment that God is about to bring about here. And you'll notice even echoing Genesis 1 and 2, it's really the undoing of creation. God is undoing the created order as his judgment comes to fall on mankind. And this is not just judgment on all of the wicked nations out there. But notice verse 4 of chapter 1. The Lord says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You see, Zephaniah was a prophet during the time of Josiah, who was probably uh, one who lived around the time of Jerusalem. And and, and Zephaniah prophesying around Josiah's reforms. If you know a little bit about uh, Josiah, he was a good king. Right? But the people still struggled, even under Josiah, 
uh, to obey the Lord, to, to be faithful to God and to his covenant. And in this time of Zephaniah's prophecy, the northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen in 722 BC because of their sins. And now the southern kingdom is about to face the same judgment because they are going in the same way of rebellion against God. And we know the story of the scriptures, God's judgment would fall upon them when the Babylonians would destroy Jerusalem in 586 BC. And so dark and difficult circumstances are about to come upon God's people. Uh, soon the people are going to face God's real judgment. And these judgments are announced all throughout Zephaniah, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. But here in the midst of all of these judgments that are being spoken of, out of nowhere it seems, Zephaniah begins to speak a word of hope and a word of blessing. Not only for Israel, but for all the nations. Chapter 3, verse 9, my determination is to gather the nations. And later on, the Lord says, I will restore the peoples a pure language, that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. Notice the Lord has purpose to restore the nations, uh, and he calls his people then to, to sing and to shout and to rejoice, because verse 15, he's going to take away the judgments that are on them. Notice the prophet here looks forward, doesn't he, with the people to a day when God would remove his judgment from his people. A day when God would save them again and free them from their enemies. And the people of God noticed they were to sing in anticipation of this great day of salvation. They were to sing as if it had already come to pass because God's word was so certain to come to pass. And as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we rejoice in how this text of scripture even applies to us because we're comforted as God's people to see God's faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ. This morning, we remember that God calls us to sing and rejoice because he has taken away his judgment, not only upon nations like Judah and Jerusalem, but he has taken his judgment off of us in Jesus Christ when he died at the cross for our sins. That in Jesus, as we sang from Psalm 103, our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west so that we bear them no more and we could praise the Lord. The remnant of Zephaniah's day, you see, they were to look forward to that day of salvation. In anticipation, they were to sing. And as the church, we look back to that cross when God's judgment was taken away and we still look forward as well to that day of final deliverance still to come. And so this call to rejoice, it was unexpected. In the midst of this great catastrophic judgment, God calls his people to sing. But second, you notice as well from verse 14, this is a call to excessive praise. The nature of this call, it's unexpected, and it's also a call to excessive praise. The people of God here are called to sing, to shout, and to greatly rejoice in God. These three terms together speak of a kind of extravagant, unashamed worship that God's people are to give to the Lord because he has lavished upon them such a great salvation. You know, you and I as human beings are able to give excessive praise in different settings, right? Some of us might be sports fans, and what do we do when our team finally wins the championship or the big game? 
right? We, we step out of our reform bubble and become probably a little bit more Pentecostal on those days, right? A little bit more dancing and shouting and high fives and rejoicing with people around us. Or if our guy wins the election, right? The political leader that we love so much. And if, and if he wins, right? We rejoice. We parade it. We tell people on Facebook. We, we, we shout with other like-minded people about this victory that we get to enjoy. And really what Zephaniah is saying is, how much more should we celebrate and rejoice in the victory of our God in Jesus Christ? The kind of salvation that God has accomplished in Jesus Christ leads people not into a, a stoic kind of lifestyle before God, but into a life of worship that celebrates the victory of Jesus Christ. So Zephaniah says, sing, and he says, shout. I don't think we need a Hebrew professor this morning here to tell us what the word shout means. I think we all understand that, what it means to shout. But this word for shout, it is actually very rich in the Old Testament. It's a shout that was often associated with the battle cry that Israel would lift up when they were in war. As Israel saw enemies around them, they were to shout to God, their warrior king, their great defender and deliverer. Let me just read a, cute, a couple of scriptures for you this morning. Joshua commanded the people when they went against Jericho in Joshua 6 verse 10 with these words. He says, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out from your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. And again, in 2 Chronicles 13, we read this. And when Judah looked, behold, the battle was in front of them, and behind them and they cried to the Lord and the priests blew the trumpets then the men of Judah raised the battle shout and when the men of Judah shouted God defeated Jeroboam and all of Israel before Abijah and Judah you see that when the people of God shouted to God their warrior king in the midst of enemies in the midst of the battle God the deliverer came and he helped them in their time of need God says in the midst of enemies shout to me because I am God I am your defender I am your deliverer and as a church of Jesus Christ today today is still the day of shouting in that way we still have this side of heaven many enemies as Christians not just enemies in uh, the culture perhaps and, and people that might oppose Christianity, but we have the enemies of sin still dwelling inside of us. We have the enemies of the things that we prayed for, of illness and sickness and all of those natural evils that fall upon us as well. Uh, things like pandemics and different seasons of life that test us. And when we come to church just feeling vulnerable, when we come to church feeling attacked on all of these different fronts, individually or as families, God says that we are to lift up that battle shout, to sing and to shout to God in the midst of our trials, trusting that he is our deliverer, that he is our God. Notice the Lord says, sing, shout, and the third command, greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice in God. This last call carries the imagery of someone spinning around and dancing in celebration. Again, this is a call to excessive and unashamed praise because that is what God is worthy of. You know, often in the Bible, when you see people come in contact with God's grace, they respond in this kind of way. In the Old Testament, you could think of King David, 
a mighty man of war, right? A man who defeated Goliath and lions, a strong man of God. But he danced before the Lord, didn't he? 2 Samuel 6. And sure, people looked at this man funny, including Saul's daughter, but God was pleased with his unashamed worship. Moreover, in the New Testament, in Luke 7, we read of a sinful woman who was forgiven. And she went and she wept at the very feet of Jesus in the presence of many people. You remember how she wept over his feet. She wiped the Lord Jesus' feet with her hair. She wet his feet with her tears. She kissed his feet. She anointed them. This was intimate. This was personal. This was unashamed worship that flowed from a heart that was touched by grace. See, beloved, those who know God's forgiveness, celebrate that forgiveness. Celebrate the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter your personality type. Those who come in contact with the grace of Jesus, give to God unashamed worship with all of our hearts. Again, as human beings, we are able to get excited about many things. Our pay raises, our sports teams, birthdays, graduations, sickness being taken away. Rightly, we celebrate those things. We give thanks for those things. But how much more should we celebrate our salvation in Jesus Christ? How much more this morning should we celebrate that our sins are forgiven? That in Christ, God has removed his judgment from us. How much more should we celebrate that God calls us sons and daughters? That he actually says, you're part of my family. And I've prepared a home for you, an eternal home. You see, with the people in Zephaniah's day, we have reasons to rejoice in God. And so people of God, hear the word of the Lord for you this morning from Zephaniah to lift up your voice, to sing and to shout and to greatly rejoice in the God who is worthy of all of our praise. Let people be small in your eyes and God be big in your eyes. Let his glory and his salvation be what fills your heart as you sing, as you rejoice, even in the midst of trials, because God is worthy of our praise. This is the call to rejoice that God gives to us this morning. It's unexpected. It's excessive. But why do we sing? What are some reasons for our rejoicing this morning? And for that, we'll turn to verse 17. There's two reasons that we see here. I'll read verse 17 once again. Zephaniah says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. There's two reasons I want to highlight for you this morning. Uh, the first one, we'll just make a little bit more of a briefer point. We'll think of the second one. The first reason that we are called to rejoice is because of God's powerful presence with us. Again, Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is in your midst. Now again, remember the context. Think about how that would have encouraged the people of God. Soon, they were about to have enemies oppress them. And soon, they would have no mighty king like David to be in their midst, to defend them, to fight for them. But God says to his people, I am your king. The Lord your God is in your midst. And I will be with you, not in my judgment at that time, but I will be with you in my grace. I will be in your midst that you might never again fear evil. 
for the people in Zephaniah's day, this was good news because the judgments were about to come, real physical judgments of nations overthrowing them and humbling them to the dust. But God says, I will be your king. I will be in your midst and I will save you. I will help you. And God is still near, beloved, to his church. God came to us in Jesus Christ to be truly in our midst, in our flesh. The angel said to Mary, rejoice, the Lord is with you. And the name given to our Savior was the name Jesus, which means God saves. He saves from our sins. He saves from the very judgment of God. And even after the resurrection and bodily ascension of Jesus into heaven, Jesus promised to be with us to the very end of the age. He is the King of Kings who fights for his people, who guides us, and who is always with us by the power of the Holy Spirit to preserve us in our pilgrim journey. And so today we sing, and one of the reasons we rejoice is because we confess God is present with us. He is in our midst, even in our trials, even when we go through times of suffering or times of refining, God is in our midst. He's here with us by his spirit. And so we rejoice. But I want to think about this second reason that we rejoice from Zephaniah. Not only is he powerfully present with us, but notice what Zephaniah says. God is actually passionate for us. He's passionate for us. Verse 14 we are called to rejoice. But now we're told something amazing about God in verse 17, that he actually rejoices over us. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with loud singing or other translations with joyful songs or shouts of joy. Dear Christian, what does God think of when he thinks of you? you know, if God were to speak of you to someone else, you know, if we could put it in that light, what would he say about you? Right? What would God tell someone else about you? I actually asked a Christian that not too long ago. What do you think of when you think of God's thoughts towards you? And this person said, I think God would say he's, he's tired of me. I think he would say he's tired of putting up with me and that he's disappointed with me. And I think we could sympathize with that kind of response. We often feel that in our own hearts, that God is probably just fed up with me. If you were to write down in your bulletin a couple of words that you think God thinks about you, what would you write down? Maybe you would write down disappointed. You write down God is disgusted with me, or God is fed up with me. You know, we struggle, even some of us who've been walking with the Lord for so many years, perhaps we, we struggle with assurance, we struggle and wonder, Lord, how can you actually really love me? How can you really love me when you see, even still, after all these years, how, how much of a sinner I still am? How much of, I, I fall short of your glory every single day? Well, here's a verse in the Bible, beloved, that you want to underline. Here's a verse that you want to memorize. Here's a verse that you want to preach to yourself when you find yourself beat up by life and feeling like you actually don't matter to God. One Bible scholar says this is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament because it's a verse that declares the passionate love of God for his people. And what does it say? God delights in his people so much that he sings. Do you believe that this morning? That God delights in his people so much that he sings? Does God sing 
a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. God spoke audibly for people to hear. See, all of our singing, all of our rejoicing is really just an echo of this great song of delight that God sings over his people. You know, I think for us, beloved, I know for myself, one of the main reasons we don't always long for intimacy with God, you know, times of prayer, times of personal worship, is because we do think God is repulsed by us. Think about it. In human relationships, you don't want to spend time with people that you think don't like you very much. Right? If you feel like people are just kind of putting up with you, you don't really want to hang out with them, right? I remember early on in my marriage, uh, my wife confessing to me, honey, I know that you love me, but I don't think you really like me very much. Should be very honest. And when we feel that way about someone, we, we don't want to be in their presence, right? The same is true with God. We will never draw near to God with joy and with unashamed worship so long as we think that God is disgusted by us. We must believe in verse 17 that God sings songs of joy over us because he delights in us. What a verse. God says, I want you to rejoice in me because I rejoice over you. This is not the God of deism who is disconnected from this world, you know, who created it and then walked away. This is not the God of Star Wars, right? Some impersonal force that's just behind the universe, moving things. No, this is the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who sings songs of joy over his blood-bought children. Notice the imagery here. He will rejoice over you with gladness. That imagery in the Bible is connected with how a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Back in the colder Ontario, uh, we have six weddings this summer. Um, we're not doing all of them. There's another pastor I serve with. We're splitting them up. Uh, but you know what it's like to go to a wedding and, and you know what it's like to see that beautiful moment in the ceremony when the bride is walking down the aisle. And as a pastor, when I'm officiating, I'm often looking right at the groom and just seeing how he's doing, making sure he doesn't fall down or anything. And you know, often they're, they're shaking a little bit. Uh, sometimes they're sweaty. Oftentimes they're just smiling and they're just, you know, overwhelmed by the moment as they see their bride walking down the aisle. And for some of you married men, think about how you felt on that day when you saw your bride coming down the aisle. Think about the emotions that filled your heart. Well, this is the heart of Christ towards his church. Isaiah 62, verse 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The second imagery here is of a parent quieting their child with their songs. Notice, he will quiet you with his love. You know what it's like as a parent to put your kid down for bed, and maybe when you're putting your, down, your kid down for bed, you, you sing to them, right? You, you try to quiet them down a little bit after a busy day, and you, you sing songs over them. You delight in that moment with them. You rejoice over them. I, Zephaniah is saying this is God's heart towards his children. He, he will quiet you with his love. Why is that so important? Because our hearts, beloved, object to everything I'm saying this morning, everything that God's word is saying. We object to this and we say, no, our, our sin is too frequent. It's too obvious to the God who sees all things. No way he could see it all and actually delight in me. But read verse 15. God says, if you're in Christ, your judgment is taken away. 
Perhaps we say, I feel so much shame this morning because of my sin. I know how dirty I am. I don't even love myself because I know what I do. Read verse 19. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. God is in the business of covering our shame and he does so with the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us by faith that we might be seen as pure in his sight. Well, perhaps we say, you know, this is probably true. This is God's love, but it's for other people. It's not for me. You don't know how many times I've failed as a a parent or as a church leader or as a spouse or as a child. Zephaniah says, he will quiet you with his love. God's love in the gospel quiets all of the objections of our heart to his grace. God's love quiets us and reminds us that his grace is greater than all of our sin. You see, God doesn't take lightly our sin. He is holy and he is just. But he has dealt with our sins at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered at the cross and he cried out as one forsaken by the Father that we might sing as those accepted by grace. We sing with shouts of joy because he shouted as one forsaken when our sin was laid upon his shoulders. So now God's love for us in the gospel quiets our hearts as he reminds us his grace is greater than all of our sin. This morning, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've never called upon the Lord for salvation, why would you want to push away a God like this? Why live your life for the things that leave you sad and miserable in the end? God says to us this morning through his word, buy into my love that is given freely to all who confess their sins and look to Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins to God and we look to Jesus The word of God says he will put a new song in our mouth. He'll put a new song in our hearts. He will fill us with his joy. So people of God, sing to the Lord because your God sings over you. Shout with the voice of triumph to your God and even in the midst of your struggles and even in the midst of your battles because God is powerfully present still. He is in our midst. And so may we thank him And may we praise him, not just with our lips, but with our lives, as we offer ourselves a sacrifice of praise to him, even this day. Amen. Let's pray. Dear gracious God and heavenly Father, we pray with the psalmist that you would open our lips, that our mouths might praise you. Indeed, O Lord, because your steadfast love is better than life, help our lips to praise your name. Help us to bless you as long as we live. Help us to lift up our hands in your name. We thank you for the love that you have shown to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for his willingness to come and to experience, O Lord, what it means to be turned away from as our sins were laid upon him, that we might know that in all of our trials as well, when we sing and we pray to you in our struggles, that you will never turn away from us, that you will look upon us favorably And you will show us your love and your care as you bring us all the way home to glory. We thank you for this time of worship where we could hear your word and we could be instructed by your word, but also, Lord, this time where we can sing and offer to you our praise and our thanksgiving may be acceptable in your sight this morning as we bring them to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.